welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! I, um, I want to say this. I think that a lot of us have PTSD in this season, and I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. Because of what's happened in the last season of our, of our life, living where we are living, so many people have a fear of disruption. Because at any moment, something can just come, as we've known in the last two years, and disrupt your everyday rhythm. How many know what I'm talking about? Kids can be dismissed. Yeah, I just, yeah, we, we, yeah, my wife's reminding me. Kids are, everybody's dismissed. Um, but we have a fear of disruption. You know what I'm talking about? Because at any point, point, you hear these media statements that at any point your life can be once again disrupted. And I was talking about um, a few weeks ago, I had a dream and I gave this word that I feel like it's not over. And that there's something going to erupt again that's going to affect Ottawa and the surrounding regions. And I, I shared this. But I want, to, I want to flip it with encouragement, spiritually speaking, in this season. In that, I believe in this season of your life, the same way that you fear an unhealthy disruption, God wants you to be in faith for a spiritual disruption. Because sometimes, because we're so afraid of disruption, we actually end up rejecting God's interruption. And sometimes God's interruption feels like a disruption. It feels like a distraction. It feels like a, I didn't plan for this. Like, I was throwing the pass over here, and all of a sudden, it's like it was completely intercepted. You know what I'm talking about? And I feel like we need to have an expectation in this season for spiritual disruption as we have a fear of unhealthy disruption. And so, God, we just welcome, as scary as it is, the only way that we're going to, let's say as a community, as a people individually, going to advance and break through molds and mindsets and things that are holding us back, which we're all called to be breaking through, is if we allow our lives to get disrupted in a way that stretches ourselves so that we can overcome and conquer and move into new territory, spiritually speaking. I don't know if we're hearing this today. Your fear of disruption is causing you to reject God's interruption. So let's be in faith for God to so interrupt us that it actually ends up feeling like disruption because it wasn't what we planned or thought. So I am praying, God, what does that look like in this season? What does that look like for us as a community on Sunday mornings? I feel like I have the challenge of being the challenger. I have the challenge of being an encourager. I have the challenge of being pastoral. I have the challenge of continuing to see forward through difficult circumstances and yet to, to see things built forward. I have the challenge of what feels like at times cattle prodding people where they need to go. Someone gave me that word years ago. A prophet gave me that word. You're called to be a cattle prodder. It's like zapping people in the right direction. No one wants to be that guy. So I, I say this to say that I feel like part of my role in this season is to pray about what disruption looks like for us as a house so that there can be an eruption of God's goodness, grace, power, love, and just overwhelming grace to do what he's called us to do. The reason why the Acts Church did so well is because great grace was upon them all. Because they chose to let the disruption become an eruption of mission, love, power in and through their community. 
So I want to finish something that I started talking about a while ago. It was probably, at a, I don't know the timeline, maybe five weeks ago. Um, but some of you might have been here. And I, I was talking about what it takes to develop supernatural culture. Anybody remember that? And I got to through two of the five sort of main points. And then I said, one day, maybe I'll finish it. So I'm going to finish that today. So bear with me. How many know we have a culture in every area of life? Family, media, you know, our, our workplace, there's a culture, there's a workplace culture, there's an independent personal culture, like how you live your life. If I look at your schedule, it will be a reflection of the type of values that have developed your personal culture of how you live your life. We have culture in business, culture in government, culture in every sphere of influence, culture in education. How many know that to be true? I mean, you can't escape culture. And the word culture, when you break it down, is anything that's been cultivated over time because of a sharing of values, consistency of values, and belief systems. You cultivate something over time through consistency. You don't have culture without consistency. You don't have culture because you make one good decision. You have culture because you make thousands of, of decisions that are connected to each other based upon the values and beliefs that you have. And over time, eventually, it becomes a culture. If you have a culture of binge-watching TV, then you'll know by your schedule and how much time you watch TV. It's a culture. Like, everything is a culture. Generosity is a culture. Love is a culture. Kindness is a culture. So we, we want to create culture, healthy culture, but it takes time over and over and over again. I believe one of the areas of kingdom culture that God wants to be a part of the culture is that we have a faith culture, not a safe culture. And so to have a faith culture, there is going to have to be disruption. The fact that we made it through a pandemic and are still standing when so many others are not reminds me of the value of talking about faith over and over again constantly. We talk about this all the time about believing, about faith. That's the whole, you have nothing in relationship with God without that persevering faith. So we have culture in every area, every area. And I want to look at, relook at the culture of the early church. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 real quick. I'm going to read this passage. We're going to do communion at the end, okay? Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. All the believers devoted themselves. Everyone say Devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, which is what we call communion, the Eucharist, celebrating the Lord's table, and to prayer. A deep sense, 43, verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them all. This is what we need. If we're going to have supernatural call, listen, we don't want performance culture. The last thing I want to do ever on the stage is have a performance culture. And, you, and I've been to churches where I'm like, am I, am I worshiping the people on the stage or am I worshiping God? Like, I'm confused right now. Like, there it seems like there's a high level of performance. And I don't, I'm not knocking performance, but when it comes to worship, our ministry is unto God first and only. Okay, so, you know, we, we, we want to have a culture of worship where the heart is right, where the motive is right where you get into a place because it's all about him and nothing else. And the, one of the ways we know that we have that is when you're more worried about, in a healthy way, ministering to God than you are worried about what the person around you thinks. That's when you know you have a right heart in worship. They'll worship him in spirit and in truth. The truth is he's the most important person in the room. And really, in those moments, the only person that matters. So, so... You know, like these are areas that we can, we can begin to discern whether or not we have a culture. But a deep sense of awe came over them all because of their devotion. They had a deep sense. So because of culture, of devotion, radical devotion to these things, they had an overwhelming sense of awe. This is what happens when you are consistent in culture in any area of your life. There will be an awe that will come because you'll begin to see the great reward that comes as a result of consistency. There's an awe, something special. And the apostles performed, listen to this, after the awe, and they performed many miraculous signs and wonders because miraculous signs and wonders are an overflow of devotion. 
It's an overflow, verse 44. And all of the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. So they were in unity. They were in fellowship. They were in communion. The word is koinonia in the Greek. They were in a devotion, an extreme. If you actually look up that word in some dictionaries, it would be described as social intercourse. They're so interconnected intimately that one of the definitions is like social intercourse. There's a oneness that happens in communion. That's God's desire for you. To not just have friends in community, but to be one in community. One heart, one mind. That doesn't mean, listen, that you don't have differences of opinion. Differences of gifts. That you're all the same. Robotic humans. That in the midst of the differences, you are one in spirit, one in mind, one in heart on the things that actually matter. They sold their property, verse 45, and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Listen to that, each day. They had a culture of worship. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They had a culture of communion. They shared in meals. They had a culture of fellowship and eating together. And great joy and generosity. They had a culture of giving, a culture of joy. All the while, listen to this, verse 47, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day, what did God do? Each day. The Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Multiplication began to happen. Addition began to happen. God began to expand territory because of the culture. Having consistency in culture always looks like reward, great things, great grace, movement, change, and transformation. Are you hearing this today? And I'm talking about this through the lens of community. We have culture only in this context of the awe, the miraculous, the growth, the multiplication, the expansion through the lens of community. Because all of this was in context to devotion to each other and to the things that each other were focusing on each day. So Holy Spirit, help us to be people that are consistent in Jesus' name. Let's break this down, verse 42. All the believers devoted, say devoted again for a second. I want to get this into your, your head. Devoted, this word in the Greek means this, and I'm just going to break down the, the sort of the, the easiest way to understand this, one of the definitions. It means to persist, to be intently engaged in, but I love this de definition. It means to persevere with unrelenting continuance. Absorb that for a second. To be devoted to something that creates culture, let's say devoted to each other, devoted to any of these things we're talking about, means to be devoted in such a way that it perseveres with unrelenting continuance. We're talking about in the waiting room. One of the greatest things that we sacrifice first in the waiting room is perseverance. Devotion to what God has given you and planned for your life and to the people around your life, devotion looks like perseverance in unrelenting continuance. Unrelenting continuance. What does it mean or look like to be unrelenting in continuance? Welcome to the experience, Michelle. She hasn't been here since the beginning of January. She's been with the kids every single week. This is the first time she's hearing me speak since the beginning of January. That's a big one. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. Now I'm intimidated. My wife's in the room. <laughs> Unrelenting continuance. Unrelenting. This is God's design. So I'm going to go through the first two just really briefly, and then I'm going to jump to the last three because we already went through this several weeks ago. Number one, they were devoted to what? Apostolic teaching, the apostles' teaching. They continued in healthy doctrine. They had good teaching. You're thinking, okay, where do we get that? Well, hopefully in the community that you're a part of, the church you go to, hopefully there's decent teaching. Hopefully, you know, you're listening to podcasts, you have mentors in your life, you're in the word yourself, looking at the apostles' teaching, looking at the, the doctrine of the apostles that were really the founding fathers of the New Testament church. Like, hopefully you're devoting yourself. If you want to see culture that overflows in awe, miraculous change and transformation, you're devoting yourself to that, to absorbing good teaching, okay? I'm not going to go through all the scriptures because we went through all this. If you haven't heard this, the first two points, go back. I don't know how many weeks ago it was, but if you just look for supernatural 
culture, keys for a supernatural culture, go back maybe five weeks ago and you'll find it and you can listen to the first two. I break the first two down. Number two, we briefly went over spiritual unity. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to what? Fellowship. The koinonia, that intimate participation, that social, what the word is, intercourse. Really intimate fellowship. They devoted themselves to that. Spiritual unity. Number three, this is where we stopped. We haven't been here yet. They devoted themselves to write this down. Ready? Food and God. Everyone say that. How many like food? How many love God? Well, it's the best thing ever. You know, there are some cultures that do this better than other cultures. Let's just be honest, where food is like a thing. And sometimes, like, I, I actually, I love, I'm, I'm like a foodie. I love food. I'm not like a, you know, a, a Boston pizza, Montana's type food person. Like, that doesn't excite me. No, no I don't want to go and waste my money on food I'll be disappointed in. I'm sorry, no offense if you love those things. It's my personal take, my personal, you know, desire. I like having, like, a really mind-blowing food experience. So if I'm going to go out, I'll sacrifice all the Montana's. And all the, you know, other places to have a really good experience where I leave, like, that was good hospitality, that was good food, that was good fellowship. And even better, talking about God. We have these friends in Toronto that whenever we're with them, they take us out to these amazing restaurants. And, and uh, it's always an amazing, not only conversation, but a food experience. Sometimes four-hour food experience. Three-hour food experience. And we just love it. It's so Fun, and I think this was the culture of the early church, though. If you go to Jerusalem, if you go to Israel, and I've been there twice, if you go to Israel and you get into the culture, food is a big thing, especially on Shabbat. I mean, you're eating like it's like a, a massive load of food, and you're fellowshipping, and you're worshiping, and you're honoring God on your day of rest. I mean, it's a big deal. I remember celebrating a Shabbat on a Saturday on a rooftop in Jerusalem with a whole bunch of rabbis. With, there was like, a, I think, 165 of us, or no, there was, no, 200, yeah, there was 100, 160 of us, 220 on this trip, 160 on this rooftop, this privately catered uh, thing, and, and the, you know, it, it was an amazing, we got to experience what the Jews literally live every Saturday, and it was an amazing experience, but you just feel there's something so spiritually opening when you eat food with people you love when it comes to now being able to talk about God. Food and God was a huge part of what they devoted themselves to, the sharing of meals. It says here, all believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, and the sharing of meals. Now it includes, the reason why I said food and God, because it includes the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is all about God. It's all about Him being first. We're going to do this at the end. And I learned the value of this. And you've heard my story. I've learned, I learned the value of communion when I was living in Alaska. When I was living in Alaska, the people that I was living with every day were having communion. And I, for some reason, I just never thought that I, I should do that. I just, it wasn't exposed to me. I thought communion was like a thing you did like once a month, you know, even though I was in the world, like I just, I, I, I wasn't illuminated this way yet. And every day we were having communion, sometimes twice, three times a day. And I remember just feeling like, man, this is incredible. I remember getting into this pattern, and what it was doing for me is it kept bringing Jesus back into the forefront of my mind. That's the purpose of communion. Think about how powerful it is when you're constantly, you're doing an act, a physical act that brings Jesus back into the forefront of your mind. It's one of the reasons why giving is so important, trusting God with your tithe and your offering. Whether you believe it or not, it's one of the only things in Scripture that's physically tangible that demonstrates your faith. You can say you believe all you want, and you, I believe in God, I trust God, and, you know, I, I, I pray, and all those things that feel intangible. But money is one of those ways that is an intangible or a tangible. It's, a, it's an actual physical action that is consistent in your life. Kind of like communion. It's a physical, it's a response to faith where we're doing something physically to engage heaven. They were dedicated. And you can see this in Exodus chapter 24 because in the Bible, 
a covenant was like a treaty. And like a treaty between a king and his servants, these agreements were often made or sealed by a sharing of a meal. This was part of the culture. So for the disciples to dedicate and devote themselves to food, to fellowship, and to the Lord's Supper was like reenacting covenant over and over again. Reenacting. Because covenant, like I just said, often was sealed through a meal. Let's have a contractual business relationship. We'll seal it with a meal. That was the culture. We'll seal it with the meal. So this was in the culture. It was so easy for them to be like, I understand the value of this because every day we're reminded of the covenant Jesus made with us. That's why Jesus said, this is the blood of my new co- of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember the covenant I already cut with you. Every time you're doing it, you're remembering of the covenant that he cut. So it's like you're almost reenacting in yourself the alignment that you've made in the covenant that he's made with you. Every time you do it, they devoted themselves to food. They devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper. We see this in Exodus chapter 18, verse 12. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Aaron and all the elders of Israel came out and joined him in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. We see this in Luke chapter 24. Jesus is raised from the dead, and he's walking with these two guys on the road to Emmaus. Remember the story. They're talking with Jesus who they are discouraged about not understanding where he is. They don't know. They can't see that it's actually Jesus who they're talking about beside them. They're in this conversation. Their hearts are burning within them. They don't know why. There's scripture coming out, and they don't know who this guy is. And it says that when they sat for a meal, Jesus was actually made known to them and then disappeared. Jesus was made known in the meal. In the breaking of bread, Jesus, all of a sudden, their their eyes were unveiled and they realized the whole time we've been walking with the very guy we were talking about and didn't know it. And the way that we were, the way it was revealed to us that it is him was through the sharing or the breaking of bread. This is the power of a meal with somebody. This is the power of the Lord's Supper. That in the Lord's Supper, there's a revealing of who God is over and over and over again. You can read it in Luke chapter 24, verse 13 to 35. I just kind of paraphrased it, shared a little bit of the story, but specifically you can read verse 30 to 32. It says in verse 31, suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. This, after, this is after he broke the bread and gave it to them. The moment they broke the bread and they took part, he became invisible, disappeared. Just like that. Number four, we have a devotion to prayer and worship. Everyone say prayer. Worship. These are two very important attributes of the New Testament, New Covenant, Bible-believing, faith-filled, radical, New Covenant church that we are still living the overflow of today. Verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the teaching, the fellowship, sharing the meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And the reason why I included prayer and worship is because in verse 46, four verses later, it says they worship together at the temple, what? Each day, they had a habit of coming together for worship. They had a habit. They had a habit. This is so important that we create these types of habits in the culture. I go through times when at night, it gets really busy sometimes, and, and, and with my kids, I try to do some form of, you know, worship somewhat consistently. Where we come together, we kind of break the routine of the night, and we come together in one person's room, and we just, we worship. But I know that when we're in a habit of that, we were doing it this week, and we kind of missed, there was about a week and a half, two weeks where we missed doing that. And I could feel that, like, the more we aren't consistent, the more it's like, it almost feels like we just forget the value of it as a family. Consistency, devotion, consistently, unrelenting continuance. You know, my kids, if my kids are distracted, they're running around, they're like, I have to be okay because they're receiving something even if it looks like sometimes they're not because they're seeing the model of it. And I model it. When we do that, it's like I do what I would do in my normal prayer time. I'm not like the awkward father that's like hoping they all come together in a little circle. Like I'm walking around, I'm pacing the room, I'm praying, I'm worshiping God, and I don't care 
If they do what I do, I don't care if they pray. I'm just modeling what I do in my prayer time. And I know that through my devotion, it just overflows into them. It's a model for them. Do as I do, not as I say. Right, John? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Pray without ceasing. A culture. This is not, I pray 24 hours a day, my prayer list, and I have a laundry list of prayers, check it off. My, no, that's not what he's talking about. Paul is encouraging the church at Thessalonica to constantly be inviting God into your everyday processes. To pray without ceasing is simply to put God in the forefront of your mind in whatever that it is that you're doing. Praying without ceasing is not like I'm literally like praying on my knees. I don't eat. I don't shower. I don't go to the bathroom. I mean, Jesus had to go to the bathroom. He had private time. He he wasn't this like walking, ticking prayer bomb constantly 24-7. But he had a God consciousness wherever he went. That's what praying without ceasing ceasing looks like and feels like is to have a God consciousness wherever you are. To not have a God consciousness, and I'm just saying you're aware. You're aware that God is with you cons- consistently. That's why I can't stand. I think my, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people pray before a meal and they say, God, be with us in this conversation. That is a very low-level, untheological, non-truth. He is omnipresent. The aware, he is with us. So God, remind me that you are here right now. And if we're in that space, we'll probably be better at everything we say and do. But we forget. And then we say things we regret. We forget that he's here. We say, do things we regret. We forget. That's why communion is so important. To bring Jesus back into the forefront of your focus so we don't forget. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, never stop praying. Ephesians 6, verse 18, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent. Come on, say it, persistent. In your prayers for all believers everywhere. Pray in the spirit on all occasions, in all occasions, at all times. Stay alert, be persistent, be awake. This was the challenge of the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, to stay awake. Jesus said, my hour is coming, temptation is at hand, stay awake with me. And they fell asleep. Sometimes the church has acted like that. Jesus is like, stay awake, things are shifting in the spirit. I need you to stay awake and we're passed out, sleeping, not engaged, not awake to what's happening. I, um, how many believe that prayer changes things? You know, I, I had, a, had a word on, in, on May 20th, 2020, and I had a dream. It was very specific, very, and I know when it's a prophecy in my dreams, when it's very specific, and often there's a shortness to it, I know it's a prophecy, and I can discern it through the years. I know, not that the de- more detailed symbolic dreams are not, but those are more parabolic in nature. When I know there's a short, concise, I know it's a now word. And I shared it on Facebook, and I had this dream, and in the dream, I saw the words Roe versus Wade. And in the dream, I, I heard this, there's going to be a shift in Roe versus Wade. And, I, and then I, I remember saying, watch what Wisconsin does. And I shared it, and I didn't get the most help, good feedback, but when, when two years later, almost to the, almost to the month, how, do, how many, we know, we had an amazing breakthrough. And some of you are, are, you know, maybe some of you are conflicted with it. Let me just tell you this. God's not conflicted with it. It is in God's nature to always be pro-life. He's the author and finisher of the faith. He's the author of life. Therefore, you never and should never have the choice or decision to take one's life. Period. There's no conversation. There's no debate on this. You want the God of the Bible? He's the God of life. He's the author. He's the one who gives life. He's the one who puts life into the womb. What did he say to Jeremiah? I foreknew you before you were ever even in the womb. Before you were even a fetus, I knew you. That in and of itself, if you are a Bible-believing kingdom person, 
You should never doubt again whether or not abortion is good or bad. Never again. I don't know if this is silence or if this is this is receiving. All I know is God's happy with the beginning changes. But I want to say this, that I'm speaking about this in the context of prayer. For 50 years, people have been praying. 50 is the number of jubilee, resurrection. Literally almost through the year, 50 years later, we're seeing something. There's no resurrection without death. We are in a resurrection season, the beginning of something so amazing. But I have been part of so many times, you guys, like so many movements, so many meetings, so many conferences over the years connected with people where their whole prayer objective and mission in life is to pray for the end of abortion. Now, if you've had an abortion, listen, there's forgiveness and grace. I'm not condemning those that went through a process like this. But at the same time, we, because someone went through something, doesn't make it right. God's grace is there, just like we make mistakes all the time and do things that God doesn't want us to do all the time. And God's grace is there, and forgiveness is always available. But moving forward, this is the heart of God, period. There's not even, there's no argument. There's no argument. Prayer moves things, changes things. I remember I, 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 in 2006, I went to this place called Moravian Falls, and the Moravians, for, for those of you who don't know, were like a radical young mission group that were young, young adult missionaries that went around the world. And there was this one location in North Carolina where they established, um, and there was an area, like a location where they st- established 24-7 prayer for 100 years. And I had lots of friends that either bought cabins there, they wrote their books there, they bought, you know, they bought property there. They'd go there on, like, you know, prayer retreats there. And I'd heard about the stories. And, and, and I remember when I went there in 2006, I had a 45-minute a life-changing angelic encounter that still speaks to me today. 45 minutes. And I, when I was there, though, I remember feeling the feeling like I stepped into what felt like the Chronicles of Narnia. That's the only way I could describe it. That was the language. It's like another dimension. You could feel the power of the people's prayers for 100 years just by stepping onto, like, the, it wasn't a building. I didn't go into a church. I didn't go into a building. I put my foot on the land and felt it. I put my foot on the pathway and I felt it. I walked up a mountain, a little mountain, and felt it. I sat in a carousel for 45 minutes while God talked to me about some really powerful things, I could feel the power of the prayers even though those people were dead and gone. This is the power of prayer. This is the power. And it's funny because after a devotion of prayer, you see it in Acts chapter 2, it says a deep sense of what came over them all. Awe. I could feel the awe in residue still there years after they're all dead. You could feel the awe. You could feel the wonder. And if I told you some of the stories, the things that happened, you wouldn't believe me. You'd think I was a wacky, charismatic. Which at this point, I don't really mind that much. But still, I, 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 it was a life-changing encounter that opened my eyes. And it was because of prayer, because of a focus of worship. Verse 40, or Acts chapter 4, verse 31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Prayer is the pathway to boldness. I felt like my, I feel like the success of how I feel God has led me in my life, what I feel like is successful, maybe your def- definition of the success is different, how I feel like I've been successful in my spiritual life, I can trace back to just literally being an intercessor, praying in the beginning. Everyone has to start as an intercessor. Everyone. Everyone. Your focus is praying for people. I'm trying to teach my kids this right now. They, sometimes they don't know what to pray, and I'm like, pray for your friends. Because you're sowing seeds. You have to get into it. You have to get used to sowing seeds. 
Because if you get used to sowing seeds, you'll be a generous person. And sowing seeds sometimes starts in prayer. You're praying for people. If you want to invest in yourself, you have to invest in someone else's life. Sometimes it's the best investment. To invest in yourself, invest somewhere else. Because some, at some point, that investment will turn around and be a reward for you as a spiritual dividend in your life. You prayed for this person, this is what happened as a result. It encourages you, it comes back to you as a harvest. You taste the fruit of it and it empowers your life to keep going. Answered prayer is a great encouragement, right? But answered prayer doesn't happen without you making a prayer, without you actually sowing a seed of prayer for someone else that's not yourself. Sometimes that's the best way to move into boldness. They pray together. They're praying. They're praying for God to move, and boldness happens. Because as they give out, God is giving back. Are you hearing this this morning? We need a culture of prayer. We need a culture of worship. And like I said, hopefully when you come here on Sunday, it doesn't matter if it's a full team or a small team. It doesn't matter if we're singing Kumbaya. Someone's on the tambourine out of time. Oh, we don't want that. Don't bring your tambourines to church. We will kick you out. Right, John? John will kick you out. <laughs> no one wants a out-of-time tam- tambourine. You going to bring a tambourine to church? Fired. You're fired. Just joking. Just joking. Number five, write this down, last point. Then we're going to pray. Number five, generosity. Generosity. I, I have to, I want to say something right now that I feel like is very important. It was funny, I was talking to... I had some interesting conversations this week. Some of the conversations were, are aliens real? It was an interesting conversation. Conversation about generosity, giving. Talked about, you know, Genesis 6 and the Nephilim and angels and giants. Talked about the, the angels that are trapped in Tartarus right now. Some of you don't know that. There's actually five domains of hell. Some of you don't know that. And there's actually a whole bunch of angels right now in chains in what we call Tartarus. And they're waiting for the judgment. You can read about it in First and Second Peter. And um, we were talking about some really, like, you know, out there stuff. And I like the out there stuff. I actually, like, I spent a lot of my years teaching solely on this, the supernatural. And, um, but, I mean, God, it's super, everything's supernatural. The Bible's supernatural. You don't believe in the supernatural, well, you don't believe in the Bible because the Bible is a book of supernatural stories. It's full of supernatural. It's all, it's all supernatural. Um, and so, I, and I, I, I don't know why I went there, but oh yeah, I was talking about generosity, and we were talking about the three dimensions of giving, and you see this really with, well, you see it throughout Scripture, and I've taught on this before, you see, you know, the, there was a reason, prophetic reason, symbolically deeper than what we just see on the surface as to why the three wise men brought frankincense, myrrh, and gold. Jesus is about two years old. Imagine a two-year-old getting frankincense, myrrh, and gold. He's a wealthy man, wealthy boy, two years old. There's a reason, though, because every, every one of them, I'm not going to do this very long, but every one of those represents something important. Myrrh was used to embalm the body. It represents humanity. The, the, first, the first level of giving is based solely about compassion for humanity. A lot of people live there. They, they only live there. They help they give alms, they give benevolent, they, they give where they can to help out. You know, they buy the sandwich on the street, they do that, and it's great. It's like a first a starting point. This is just basic humanity. Like, if you're a real human, you'll operate at that level of giving at least. If you have any sort of compassion in your body, right, you'll help where you can. Even if it's insignificant in your eyes in the moment, you'll help where you can. Myrrh represents the humanity, generous to humanity. Frankincense was used in the temple for worship. One of the ways we honor God in our worship in the house of God is through tithes and offerings. Now, if you don't like that, I'm sorry. I don't have an issue teaching on money. I'll teach on money till the cows come home as a cattle prodder. <laughs> I, I will. I, I don't, I don't, it, Jesus talked more about money than he did about prayer. So therefore, I'm going to talk, about, more, I'm gonna talk about, about money. I've had people tell me, you talk too much about money. I'm like, do you even remember what we used to be like? This is like nothing. We're like almost safely disobedient now sometimes I feel like. No, I'm just being honest. Sometimes I feel like I'm not talking, teaching about it enough. Just straight up. You look at the Acts church, we're not there. We've tasted there, but we're not there. We're not living in culture there. We've tasted it. People, people, people used to tell, like I've said it. Even in this house, you talk too much about money. What are you talking about? 
No, we don't. Not even close. But if you think so, I wonder if God's trying to speak to you. Because it's obviously big, loud in your ears, but it's super soft for so many others. Whatever you're hearing the loudest in the church, it's probably God speaking the loudest. Whatever you're hearing the least is probably what God is not speaking to you. You're going to hear what you need to hear the loudest every time. It says, then all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property. I mean, there was like a, a radicalness to their giving. I was thinking about this, and I, this is what I feel like, and this is what I'm wrestling with in this season. So it's 1049. God, slow down time just for a second, please. Stop time. You did it. Numbers, do it again. Slow down time. I, I, we put an offer on a building this past week. Took us three weeks, but it was a very uh, exhausting process, very intense process. And they said no to our offer, which I knew they would say no because it was low, but that's part of countering, it's part of negotiations. You don't ever go in at the top, right? You go in low so you can negotiate. This is just negotiation 101, business transaction 101, acquisition 101. So we went in and they said no and now we're back on the drawing board and preparing a new offer, but it requires more. It requires, you know, the whole process is a massive step of faith. And, you know, we have the first step. We've, you know, a building fund that we've had for years and it's untouched. And we have basically the, the, the majority of the first step. What we don't have is the second step. And that's actually being able to, you know, renovate where we need to renovate. And some of the costs that we need to put up front. There's lots of costs that are up front to get the ball rolling with the city and vice versa. But I was thinking about this super funny is that one, there was one time that I can say in my, in our ministry, in my experience where I tasted a level of what was happening in Acts chapter 2 when it came to generosity. And it was years ago, and we were in a service, it was a four and a half hour service. Not because we went into it thinking it was going to be four and a half hours, but it was four and a half hour service. And I remember sitting at the front, I believe it was in 2000 and. 10, maybe it was 11, I can't remember the year now, and God spoke to me, I had an iPad, like just like this, that someone had actually sewn into me, had given me, and this iPad had all of my messages in it, like I used the iPad all the time, it was like literally like a very important tool that I had used, and I didn't necessarily at the time have the money to buy another iPad, and God said to me, I want you to sew the iPad into the offering, and something's going to happen. Anybody, was anybody there? Does anybody remember this? Okay, Matt was there. Anybody else was there? Yeah. Andre, you were there. You remember this, eh? Kristen. I sold the iPad into the offering. And the reason why I went into a four and a half hour service is because, uh, uh, I have like goosebumps talking about it. It was like the spirit of generosity filled the room. People literally brought like gold, silver, rings, jewelry. Uh, I'm talking about a boat. It was like a, uh, I think it was like a, 19-foot boat or something, motorcycles, bikes, a car. I was a brand-new Toyota, like 20-whatever-the-year-was like 20 car. I'm talking about vehicles. Like, it was, you guys, it was, in, it was crazy. And it was, it was I, I'm, like, getting goosebumps because it's like I was in this experience for four and a half hours. We were seeing generosity fall like a blanket on the house. That generous moment is the reason why we have a building fund today to take this next step. But here's what I know. Oh, man, here's what I know. For us to take the next leap, we need more of those moments. Because we may only have the first step, but we sure as heck do not have the second step. And there are many people in this moment, in this room right now, that were not there in that moment. And for us as a community to take the next leap, all of us need to be in that moment together. All of us need to dive into Acts chapter 2 and feel what it feels like to be disrupted. Let's say the word again. Disrupted. So there can be an eruption of God's grace and generosity to give us what we've been in the waiting room for for the last seven years. 
This is simply a sign. Two weeks that we did right here where people brought a sacrifice. They brought an extra offering to stretch their tent to believe God for to do something in their life that's never been done before. And already we're hearing tons of testimonies of breakthrough. Here's what I want to say and just remind us. You are an incredibly generous house. Just last year in a pandemic, look what you did. I want to put this on the screen real quick. Because of our House of Hearts offering last year or two years ago, two House of Hearts ago, we were able to give almost $80,000 into mission partnerships, local partnerships, national, international. I mean, organizations that are saving women from the human trafficking industry. Just incredible things. So many different organizations. We were able to give almost 80000 in a pandemic in the size of a church that we are. In a pandemic. That's generosity. We do that once a year. In this season, you know what we're believing for? Is for this to happen in, a, in our culture as consistency so we can take the next step into a building, expand our human resources and actually expand and come into a stable place. Even if it isn't the ideal 30-year step, it's the first step. Like the new couple that gets married and buys their first three-bedroom apartment. It may not be the single home yet, but it's a step in the right direction. That's where we're moving. We're not going from a level zero to a level 10 tomorrow. We're going from a level zero to a level one. But even go to a level one, there needs to be a faith a generous spirit in the room. I want to pass out communion. And we're going to do something I wasn't sure we were going to do. I wasn't sure we were going to do communion. I had really, we had talked about this last week. And we're going to take communion in this context. And we're going to open this up again. And I don't know if we're going to do this every week. I have no idea. But all I know is that I feel like part of my role is to create some sort of disruption to what's been so that we can advance and expand into the next season with strength. And I've said this before. We're going we're gonna to actually open it up to partner your faith in communion to write down. We're going to pass those cards out as well really quick. And if you want to give, because you feel God is speaking to you in the season about building an altar, sacrifice, you can. There's no pressure. But we're going to create an opportunity. Because this is how we come into this space again. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Thank you. In the next 20 minutes, if we can get these yellow cards passed out real quick, just real quick. If you want to write down something you're believing for, you want to connect it with. Listen, for you, every time we do this, God may be speaking to you. Okay, you're going to give a little bit extra. God, wants to, God may not speak to you. Don't do it. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm telling you to do what God wants you to do because when you, op, when, you, when you align yourself with what he's leading you to do, you will win every time. Don't do it if God doesn't want you to do it. Don't do it. Do your normal thing. I do believe that we are in a season where God is going to disrupt your normal thing, though, at some, at some point. If he doesn't, you'll stay the same. You will stay the same. Definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Insanity. God sometimes wants to disrupt and interrupt the same so that we can move into what God has for us. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would begin to just overwhelm us, speak to us in this room. I pray, I pray for a similar spirit over this house. And I just want to say this, just one second. I want to say this too. Like, you guys, we're knocking on this door to buy this building. We're knocking on it. We, I, I can, I'm not going to get up here and say confidently that this is our building. I don't want to do that. I've done that before. I'm like, I, I just trust God at this point. I'm like, I'm not saying anything. We're just moving, trusting God's going to close the door or open the door. If he opens this door, we're in for a really wild faith ride, let me just tell you. You sink or swim. If God opens this door, we sink or swim. Unless at least some of us will, unless you want to go to a different church. But at least we all sink together, we'll all be together in sinking, right? <laughs> kind of just joking. But 
let's just pray. This is what I want to do for communion. As we take communion, just remind ourselves, as the disciples did, they devoted themselves to this with unrelenting continuance. In this context, God, what are you nudging us into in this season? What do you want to disrupt in us? All the PTSD that we have in the last season of being interrupted and our rhythm of life being thrown off at any point, God, we want you to be the one to disrupt us so that something can erupt on the inside of us for transformation and change. This is what we're believing for. God, we're bringing you back to the forefront of our focus. The whole premise of communion found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 speaks of the bread being the broken body. That just as his body was broken, it was broken to make your body whole. That his blood, as it was spilled out on the cross, it was spilled out to remove the stain of sin, guilt, and condemnation because you've been forgiven. When we take part in this, it is not just a physical act or a symbolic act. It is a spiritual experience. We're exchanging this understanding of what he's done for an exchange, a communion-type experience, a connection, a reminder of who God is and what he's like and there's an experience attached to that. And so, God, today, we celebrate your blood. We celebrate your forgiveness. We celebrate your broken body for the healing of our body. God, we pray for those that need healing in their body. I want you to quickly, when you have your, um, your yellow card filled out, just we're going to take communion, then we're going to come and bring it up and put it in these buckets again. We're going to keep filling these buckets with prayers. I don't know if it's going to be every week. I don't know. But I'm coming in the spirit of this season saying, God, how do you want to disrupt our culture? If we're going to actually do something different in this season, it has to look different. It has to feel different. Holy Spirit, I pray for healing to come over the house right now. Healing. Healing over the mind. Healing over the heart. Healing over the soul right now. Healing. Just healing. Bring healing, God. Healing over families, over relationships. God, healing over like just wayward individuals in the family, healing, healing, spiritual healing, mind, mind transformation, mind renewing. Jesus, we just invite you as the healer to do your healing work inside of us physically too. Right now, God, deliver us from all the stuff that's holding us down. Deliver us. Just deliver us right now. Just breathe it out like a, let it go. Just breathe out that like heaviness right now. We just breathe it out, that heaviness.